Welcome back, everyone. I'm Olivia, and this is Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, the podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. And here we are again, another semester winding down, a move on the horizon. So this episode will mark what I'm now going to just call the end of the podcasting season, but ultimately we'll just be going on a bit of a pause for about a month. And this time I can actually be pretty confident about a return time. I do feel good about that month. So I can't remember if I've said before, but I got a new job that I'll be moving to New Hampshire for. So between moving states and grading exams and papers for the next couple weeks, I'll be plenty busy and won't have a whole lot of time for things like podcast research in that time. So we'll just be taking a break. When I return though, I will have so much more time because I won't be working two jobs anymore. I'm planning on keeping the bi-weekly episode frequency at least until I get the used to the new work schedule, but I think that might be a thing that just sticks around since it's, you know, just me doing this. It gives me some time. But I'm also planning on actually doing some of those podcast updates that I've been wanting to do for a bit um, now that I'll have the time and a bit more extra money. So, you know, if you want to stay updated on podcast happenings, especially while we are in the break, be sure to follow us on our associate on a, be sure to follow us on our assorted social medias. We have Facebook, uh, Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, and then Instagram. We are at Quirky, Creepy, Freaky Pod. So check up those for some updates, especially in the break. If you want to be some of the first to find out when we're coming back, but we'll see you again in about a month. So for this week's episode, since I am moving jobs and we're doing a bit of a job change, I wanted to pay a bit of homage to my observer job with Maine and talk about a fish that is indeed a pretty quirky little guy. Except, as you would know if you've ever seen one, they are anything but a wee little guy. We'll be talking about the Mola Mola or Ocean Sunfish. In last summer, or I guess this just this past summer, so yeah, last summer, in one of the areas of the Gulf of Maine that we are mapping, we saw so many molas. If you've seen them or are even vaguely familiar with them, then you might know that usually they're reasonably solitary. You often only see one or two even in a long boat excursion. And also typically, you'll see them lying pretty still, kind of one of their flat sides sticking up, maybe a fin poking out of the water, generally sunning themselves on the surface of the water, hence the name sunfish. But for a couple of weeks over the summer, we just consistently saw so many molas. One day, we counted up to 19. So as we'll hear today, they can actually swim, at least maybe not super duper fast, but they have a reasonable pace. So it is possible that some of those could have been repeats. But still, even if we had one or two repeats, that's so many more molas than you would expect. We also learned a very surprising thing, and it startled me pretty good the first couple times we saw it, especially since right next to the boat, and also almost gave the captain a heart attack once or twice, but we learned that molas can breach, just jump, clear out of the water. So let's talk about it. Mola mola, or the ocean sunfish, is actually one of the heaviest bony fishes in the world, and again, if you've seen them, this will come as no huge surprise to you. They are very hefty, large fish. Even small ones are still huge. The fish that they're neck and neck with in size is just another mola species, the giant sunfish, Mola alexandrini. 
So the Mola Mola, their base body length is typically only about two meters or six feet. So that would be from tip of the nose to end of the pseudo tail. But from fin to fin, you can add another couple of feet to that. So that would be like dorsal fin, tip of the dorsal fin to tip of the anal fin. And that length can be up to two and a half meters. The largest recorded ocean sunfish is a tad over three meters or almost 11 feet. So that's a really big fish. Weight-wise, since they are the heaviest of the bony fishes, we're talking about two and a half tons for the ocean sunfish. And if we're looking at the giant sunfish, they just surpassed that at about 2.7 tons. So these are very heavy fish. And imagine that jumping out of the water. So to picture that, think about an elephant. There are a few different elephant species and then a couple of subspecies thrown in there as well because why aren't there? But we've got Asian elephants and African elephants. Asian elephants are a bit smaller on average than the African elephant, but still very hefty and it is a notice noticeable size difference between the two, but it's not like one is like dramatically bigger. But a female Asian elephant averages about 2.7 tons. So a giant sunfish literally weighs just as much as an Asian elephant. African elephants, um, on the other hand, the female African elephants of the savanna subspecies typically come in at about three tons. So among the molas, it's acknowledged in many of the sources when you're reading about molas, both the academic and things like aquarium websites, that it is very likely that molas can get larger than we've recorded them, and that's because, you know, they are a pelagic fish, so they live much more open water a little farther away from the coasts, and since you typically only see one or two in a long day, they're pretty independent, they can be harder to find and study and record them and all that good stuff. So that can also mean that since the largest sunfish are recorded at about 2.7 tons, it's entirely possible that a three-ton sunfish could be swimming around out there somewhere. So literally just like a thing that weighs as much as an elephant swimming around like 11 feet long. So now imagine something that's 11 feet long and nearly three tons like jumping out of the water right next to your about, I think it was a 30-foot lobster boat. So think about that and you will understand the surprise, the alarm, the excitement, the mild terror, and all of the above emotions. Very exciting thing to witness, but also generally just such a time. Okay, so now if you've never seen molas before, you're probably picturing a really long-finned, super chonky, but somewhat normal-looking fish, maybe like if you took a oceanic white tip shark and made it fat. And, I mean, the ocean sunfish isn't super weird looking, but also they are. They don't really look like what you would picture as, like, a fish. And we will have a picture on the social media, but as a description, if you noticed earlier, I said that they have a pseudo tail. So they don't really have a tail like you would normally picture for a fish. It's more just like a uh, an abrupt rudder sort of thing, like they caudal fins are all fused together. So yeah, it's more of just like you take the back of the fish and you make a, a stiff rudder on it and that's like it. Their body is mostly circular shaped and they have a head end and then really just main body and then that's kind of it. Which then brings in some of the fun names from other languages that sound a little bit mean. But in German, their common name, and I'm going to attempt to pronounce this, uh, their common name is Schmeinde, 
Schweimender uh, Kopf, which means swimming head. And I'm not going to try the Polish name, but in Polish, it translates to only head. So it's really just pointing at the fact that this thing is really just a swimming head and that's it. So it's reasonably accurate, but I don't know, for me, it just feels a little bit rude. The ocean sunfish is also very flat and not flat quite like flounder are. Like flounder would be like if you took the top of a fish, the bottom of a fish and smushed it. They're flat kind of like that, so kind of sorta. With the ocean sunfish, they're more flat ventrally. So if you took a fish in your hands and you had one hand on the right side, one hand on the left side and went smush to flatten it, then that would be what a mola would be like. Just a flat gray head disc. And with that pseudo tail, they, as I said, it's just a pseudo tail. They don't really have like a tail fin, so to say, but they do have those two long fins, a long dorsal fin and a long anal fin on the bottom, pretty much opposite of each other. These fins are relatively narrow, especially considering the um, bulk of the body and very long. So like think back to the sizes I was talking about before and these fins add several, add like a whole meter to their length. So these fins are very long. So before we get to the fun fact, just while we're talking about the fins, before we get to the fun fact of them jumping out of the water and why we think they might do that, our first mola fun trivia is about their fins. So sunfish got their name sunfish by their tendency to hang out at the surface of the water after a dive down to deeper waters to find the jellies that they like to eat, as well as the small fish for snacks. When they come up to their surface, one of their fins usually sticks out. Now, you would think that it would be easy to tell a mola apart from something like a basking shark, but no. This habit and the co-occurrence of basking sharks in the Gulf of Maine inspired the creation of a fun game that we liked to call Shark or Mola. And it would be surprisingly difficult sometimes, especially if we had a wee bit of distance, there was some wave action. We were often right in the calls we ended up making, but we often had quite a bit of discussion to get to that mola or shark label. And if you don't believe me that it can be tricky to tell the difference being like psh, shark fins and mola fins, they obviously are very different, then look it up. There are a lot of websites when you're looking at shark fin IDs, especially with basking sharks. They almost always bring up molas and how to tell the difference between a mola fin and a shark fin. So how do you tell the difference? They do have a different shape, but since basking sharks also have a very tall dorsal fin, depending on how much of the fin you can see, just judging off the shape alone, it's not always super reliable because you, if you have a bit of that narrow part sticking out, like it might look like a mola fin and it can still be tricky. The more reliable part though is more the behavioral signs. With sharks, they tend to be more steady, so their fins will be pretty level. They might raise or lower themselves in the water, which can make the fin appear to raise or lower in the water, but generally, if that was happening, you'd be seeing a more up and down motion of the fin, but generally, you're going to be seeing pretty stable straight line motion and a more smooth descent. With molas, they tend to look a bit more flappy. Apparently, that motion is uh, more officially referred to as a mulling motion, but it looks kind of like a rolling side to side as the mola tries to get its flat surface facing up towards the sky so it can do that nice sunbathing. So yeah, so with molas, you'll be looking for kind of that floppy rolling action in the fin. Sharks ain't going to be doing that. So now as we're getting into them spending time at the surface, this brings us to the surprising fun fact about molas. 
their ability to breach and just jump out of the water. Now, why is this surprising? A lot of ocean animals can breach. Obviously, I guess, I don't know if that's obvious, but a lot of things can breach. So why is it surprising that molas can breach? So for a very long time, it was actually thought that molas just couldn't swim efficiently at all and primarily relied on currents to move them around. And if this was true, this would have made them the largest of the plankton, and so they actually had that distinction for a good long while. When you think about plankton, you might think a couple things, but first, you might think about the little green guy from Spongebob, but then you might think about critters that are much smaller, kind of like the little green guy from Spongebob. But also, maybe things like krill, fish larvae, if you're with the algae, perhaps phytoplankton like the diatoms. Officially, though, to be a plankton, it's not necessarily the size that matters. You really just have to be able, or you have to be unable to provide significant propulsion on your own in order to do things like swim against a current. And some definitions will describe it um, more like that with swimming against a current, or and others will say more like they relies on the current to move um, or disperse themselves. But really, you just don't have very efficient swimming mechanisms. Fairly recently, though, like really just in the last decade or two, scientists figured out, hey, these guys are actually pretty good at this swimming thing. And we thought that they couldn't swim very well because they don't have a normal tail. And in other fish, when they are swimming, the tail is part of what helps to um, propel them forward. But in molas, that's what their other two fins are for. They kind of, they flap back and forth. Uh, one source said that it helps them move fairly similarly to how penguins sort of fly underwater. So they flap their fins back and forth, and that's how they swim. And the that pseudo tail, so what bit of a tail that they do still have, it just acts as a rudder. So it kind of it helps them turn, a bit of stabilization, all that good stuff. Molas can sprint. Most things can, especially when they're on the hunt or trying to evade predators. But for the most part, while we do know that they can now uh, swim pretty efficiently, or at least more efficiently than they used to, they still aren't breaking any speed records. Cruising speeds are only about 1.7 knots or so. So really, you could outwalk a mola at cruising speed. And then for the breaching, uh, most of the sources that I ran into that mentioned that they can breach were either published in the last five years or just used sources from the last five years. So I'm sure that people have been witnessing molas breaching for as long as fishing and ocean going voyages have been a thing, but at least officially this is a pretty recent, or this seems to be a pretty recent recognition in the scientific community. And you know, this makes sense. If you think that a fish can't swim, then you wouldn't expect it to be able to work up the kind of speed and momentum it would need to just launch itself out of the water. But hey, turns out, one, they can swim, so they have and can have some impressive bursts, and two, sometimes these bursts cause breaches. But why do they breach? There are a few guesses out there, but since this is a pretty recently recorded phenomena, and as I said before, the molas are just elusive enough to make them a little inaccessible for a lot of research, we don't know 100%. Uh, some sources attributed it to either excitement with finding food or escaping from predators. One paper I read talked about this breaching behavior 
as molas were trying to escape from orca predation. And they did observe the occasional breach happening there. And, you know, if I was trying to swim away from an orca and I had the ability to breach, I'd probably give it a shot. Um, I don't know if you, you really can outswim a pod of orcas. They're pretty ruthless, but, you know, try anything. And, you know, if I was also on a feeding spree and there were just a whole bunch of jellies or salps or maybe a really good school of some nice small fish, I'd breach for that too. And around that time that we did see the large mesomolas, we were also seeing a whole lot of what we were pretty sure were salps or comb jellies. So it was really just prime sunfish feeding time. So many of the molas that we saw very well could have been breaching because they um, had a whole lot of food around. They were really excited about it. They were chasing down some jellies and they just ended up shoving themselves out of the water. Another fairly common idea is that it could help to dislodge parasites because boy, do molas have parasites. Being a large, flat, rough-skinned, slow-moving fish does have its downsides and that it makes you a prime target for parasites, especially like parasites that grow on the skin and generally just for animals to grow on you. Essentially, being a large, flat, rough-skinned surface makes you into a living recruitment disc. And recruitment discs or recruitment plates are something that scientists use to study how well different organisms like algae or barnacles or mussels, things like that, grow in certain conditions, usually if you're looking at different light conditions or salinity conditions, things like that. So molas are just a swimming growth plate. So the sunbathing behavior that molas are known for and were named after is actually partially for parasite prevention. The molas come to the surface, they'll show off like the flat half their body to the surface, and then with any luck, a bird like a gull will come along and eat their parasites. And that's really a win-win situation. You get rid of the parasites dragging you down because, you know, the parasites are going to increase drag. And the gulls are going to get an easy, tasty snack. But gulls aren't always around on the open ocean. They're reasonably reliable, but, you know, as you get farther away from the coast, so do, like, the birds get a little bit more spacey. So the molas might need another way to dislodge some of those parasites. And a good breach could definitely do the trick. Both exiting the water and that dramatic re-entry should give enough force to dislodge a parasitic copepod, or maybe two. We often like to come up with one easy explanation for behavior, but this one could very well be an all-of-the-above situation. This could easily be a behavior to get rid of some parasites, but breaching is also a pretty common behavior in chase situations, both when you are chasing or attacking, and also when you are being chased. Sometimes I think it's fun to think that fish like this play more than we think we do, and once on fish was just like, hey Fred, I think this would be a cool thing to do, and he did a little jump and was like, whoa, I can move a little faster now. My skin feels better. I must have lost a parasite or two. And then they just spread the news to the other molas in the area. And then now they just jump. And of course, how it started is one of those things we'll likely never know. And that is a wild anthropomorphization of a fish. But hopefully one day we'll get more of those whys sorted out. And, you know, might be a bit of a both situation. But... Whatever it is, this will definitely be one of those things, so it'll be interesting to see what we learn about molas as time goes on. Thank you for listening and hearing about mola molas.
we'll be back in about a month, and then I think we'll kick it off with an episode that I've accidentally been sitting on for a while. I meant to shove it up to the front of the list, and then things got busy, and haven't done it yet, so I think they'll be what we return on. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone in your life that could use some Mola Mola facts, which we all know is everybody, like, we all need more Mola facts in our life. Um, be sure to share it with your friends. They can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to subscribe so you can be notified of future episodes and leave a review wherever you listen. Those are all great ways to support the podcast and help new people find us. And of course, if you are on Facebook or Instagram, be sure to give us a follow at Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky on Facebook and Quirky, Creepy, Freaky Pod on Instagram to get all the pictures and updates on the podcast, especially in this time as we're going on a bit of a break. Thanks to my sister, Kaylee Streit, for creating the theme music for the podcast. And thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in about a month.